0: We're going to start at John 15. We're going back to our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study through the book of John. We had some amazing testimonies last week, and if you missed them, they are online, so uh, I can tell you how to get to them. But uh, we were really blessed by a couple of wonderful testimonies last week, and today, back to uh, the study of John. So John 15, verse 11. The words of Jesus. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. That whatever you ask in the the Father in my name he may give to you. These things I command you that you love one another. Again, we have focused on these verses. Um, So we've gone over these verses. We've studied these verses. But these verses are necessary for what comes, what is the crux of today's study, starting at verse 18. It says, if the world hates you. Listen, church. You know that it hated me before it hated you? If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my Father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin, but now they have seen and also hated both me and my Father. But this happened, that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without cause, but when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will testify to me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Father in heaven, these are precious words entrusted to us that we may study them by the power of your Spirit, understand them, and take them out into a world that needs them. So today, Father, as we are in a war-torn world of hatred and fear-mongering and ugliness, there is a light. It's your church. And your word tells us exactly how to respond. Teach us today in Jesus' name. Amen. So, have you heard of King James? I'm not talking about the Bibles that some of you have, the King James version. I'm talking about LeBron James. They call him King James. First pick of the NBA draft by Cleveland Cavaliers, 2003. Brought them to the playoffs a few times in Cleveland, and the fans loved him, yes? When he first went over there, they loved him, and they wore his jerseys proudly, and they held up his signs, and they cheered his name. In 2010, he made the decision, is what it was called by ESPN. The the decision. He had become a free agent, and July 10th, he signed with the Miami Heat. And so the Cleveland fans, well, they buried his jerseys and burned his jerseys. They tore down his signs They cursed his name. But that's okay because the Miami fans, well, they wore his jerseys. They held up his signs. They chanted his name until 2014. And then he left the Miami Heat to go back to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so the Cleveland fans, instead of remaining bitter, said, hey, grab your shovels. Let's dig up the jerseys that we had buried. Let's dig them up. They couldn't unburn the ones that they had burned. But they unburied the jerseys. They wore them proudly again. They taped up the torn signs. They shouted his name again. And now in Miami, different story. They burned the jerseys. They buried the jerseys. They tore down the signs. You get the point. He's loved, he's loved, he's loved, but then he's hated. Then he's hated. And what we find is this. In relationships where great love is possible, well, if things don't necessarily work out, would you agree that great hate is also possible? That great hate also is possible? I think Jesus understood this better than any human being that ever walked the earth In John 2, after he had turned the water into wine, it was said later in that chapter that the crowd, they wanted to follow him, but he would not trust them. He would not entrust his hearts because he knew what was in the hearts of men. Later, what would happen is he would come into Jerusalem riding on a donkey, and they would be singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But he also knew that that same crowd that shouted Hosanna, well, and they loved him. Shortly thereafter would be shouting something quite different and they would be saying, crucify him, crucify him. And so, where there is great love, would you agree that there's the possibility for great hate? If you've been in a relationship and that relationship, there was a lot of investment, there was a lot of time spent, there was a lot of your heart given over to it, and things did not necessarily work out the way that you hoped that they would or the way that you wanted them to, well, things turned very very bitter, very sour, very ugly, And so today, what we're going to see is this, these love-hate relationships. And we're going to take a look because if you are on Facebook at all, or if you're watching the news, there's a lot of hatred in our world today. There's a lot of hatred and ugliness and bitterness and sourness in the world today. And yet last week we read this, or the other week, what Jesus said in... John 15, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this. All right? So if this is the greatest love possible, then you can guarantee that hate and ugliness is not far behind. There's white supremacy, there's black supremacy, there's hate in families, there's conservative hatred, there's liberal hatred, there's uh, Facebook, there's news, there's Twitter ugliness. Everywhere you look, there's ugliness. And yet the church, God has inserted us in this world for a moment such as this to be the light of the world. And that's possible because of, one, that in the greatest act of love that the world has ever known said simply this. When he gave his last breath, he said, it is finished. And when he said it is finished, guess what? It was finished. And again, love was possible on this earth through him. And so Jesus says, greater love hath no man than this. It will bring us to the first of five simple points today in this message. And the first is this, is that if you're going to be the light of the world, because you've been loved by the light of the world, then you have to understand something, that you have been well-loved. Okay, you are well-loved. That's the first point. First of five, you are well-loved. Do you know that? Has anyone told you today that they love you? It's it's something that I do with my kids and my wife. I always say, hey, has anybody told you today that they love you? Has anybody expressed that to you? You might know that you're loved, but it's a good thing to hear sometimes, right? It's good to hear that somebody actually loves you. Well, Jesus was with his disciples, and he did not hesitate to tell them, hey, you guys are are my friends, man. I love you guys. And he showed it in his actions. You are well loved. Do you understand that? Do you receive it? Yes, you know the verse. You can sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. Yes, I know. We, We can sing the song. We know the verse. You hear the pastor talk about it all the time. But do you know, have you made the connection from this to this? It's 18 inches, but it's the most important connection that you'll ever make to understand that God loves you. Have you received it? Because you have to understand, in this world of hatred, you are well-loved. Because you can tell when somebody's well-loved, right? You can tell by looking at someone when they're well-loved. You know what? When you look at my wife and when you look at my children, here's my hope. I hope you can look at them and say they've been well-loved. Sometimes it gets a little tiresome. Sometimes we forget. I had date night with my wife the other night. And, uh, and sometimes, you know, we go out. We go to the restaurant. We go to a typical dinner. Well, I put a lot of thought into this. I bought her flowers beforehand. We went dinner dancing. I told her to get dressed up. And I broke my second rule. I put on a tie. I do ties for weddings and funerals. But I put on a tie. And when I came out styling and profiling, when I came out... <laughs> Ric Flair. When I came out in my tie, when I came out in my tie, she looked and she was like, what's the occasion? I said, you're the occasion. I said, you're the occasion. Why? Because I want her to know she's well loved by her husband. I want her to radiate that. Why? Because I've been well loved by God. I want my children to know that they're loved. So I'm always asking, if my daughter can say one thing, if she can say one phrase, I say, Hannah, who loves you? And she says this, Dad, they love me. Okay, you got it. She gets that. She makes that connection. And it's important that if you know one thing to deal with the hatred and everything that's going on in this world, it's important that you know your daddy loves you. It's important that you understand that God the Father loves you and that he showed that love for you through his son, because Jesus said, greater love hath no man than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. And he's foreshadowing something he's going to do, and they can't fathom it, trust me. He told them not once, not twice. He told them three times that he was going to a cross, but it was going to be okay. And when he's still on that cross, they still don't get it. And even after he's risen, they're struggling to understand it. Do you know that a great love has been shown you? And I told you I broke my second rule by wearing a tie. Some of you are saying, what was your first rule? That one I broke last night. I stayed up past 10 o'clock, out, and I watched a fight last night, which I normally don't do. So that's the first rule. But the second rule was the wearing of the tie. Why? Because she's worth it. Because she's worth it. And God thought you were worth it. He assigned a tremendous value to you. He assigned a tremendous value that it would do you good to wake up in the morning and realize the value that was assigned to you when he looked at you and looked at his son and made a decision to send his son to the cross so that he could have eternity. He could have even the possibility of eternity with you. Church, you are well loved. And there's something that happens when a person is well loved. You're full. There's confidence. And it's not an arrogance. It's a confidence to say, God loves me. God loves me. You look at some of these professional athletes that profess Christ, and, and they walk around. they're not confident in their, confident in their sport. Yes, they have God-given abilities, but where you really see their confidence is who they are in God. I'll use the example of Tebow again. If he strikes out, he knows it's no big deal. Why? Because he's going to serve a knight of gala with special needs, and he says, hey, listen, this is a game. God has given me a talent. He's given me an ability to play it, but I know that God loves me, and I want the world to know that God loves them. What if that was your mission? It'll never be your mission until you understand he loves you. See, that's the most important thing to him. That was the most important thing that you would understand So by his actions, what he did was he showed it. He came as a baby. He lived perfectly. He died sacrificially, and he rose in victory for you. You have to receive this to get any other part of this message. Because now it gets sticky. Now it gets unpopular. You've been loved well. That's the first point, but skip down to verse 18. Because Jesus says something very revealing here. He says, listen, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you stop right there if the world hates you you are well loved that's the good news but here's the challenge you who are well loved you will be well hated how many of you have been hated well how many of you have been hated well i'm a pastor I've been hated really well. I didn't know that people could possibly dislike me as much. When I was a heathen, when I was not walking with God, I had no idea that people could dislike me as much as they do at this moment in my life. It's it's amazing. You know, you don't wake up in the morning and say, hey, you know what? I I hope that they're going to hate this message. I didn't wake up this morning and say, hey, you know, I'm hoping that I offend everybody in the room today. I'm hoping that they hate it. I'm hoping that they hate me when I'm done with it. Nobody wakes up and says, hey, I'm going to see how I can exacerbate everybody in my life today, right? I hope you haven't done that. I mean, if you've done that, you're, you're de- if you, if you are if that is you, you're definitely in the right place because you need this message. But how many of you have ever woken up and said, you know what? I know how to exacerbate everybody that I'm going to work with today. I'm going to wear something that I know is going to upset everyone, and I can't wait, right? I hope that that's not your heart, Okay. The reality is this, is that if you're loved by God, you're going to be well hated. Jesus said, if the world hates you, know this, it hated me first. So let's say that I have this letter. And here's this letter for you. And in this letter, well, it's a letter that I've received. And this letter lets me know that I'm loved, that there's a purpose for my life. This is the plan for your life, and it's good. And this is everything that God thinks about you. And I have this letter. And I'm so excited about this letter that I've been given, this love letter that I've been given, because I've been told now, hey, take this letter, take the good news, take the gospel to the rest of the world, take this letter and make sure everybody gets it so they can know that I love them, that I gave up my son for them, that I have a better plan for their life than they do. However, God works an honest program. He works an honest program, and he loves us enough to say, hey, Understand this also. They're gonna reject you. They're gonna ridicule you. They're gonna persecute you. That comes along with this life that you're being called to. Do you still want this letter? Because that's what that, that that's what this life comes with. It comes with persecution. It comes with rejection. It comes with separation from those that you love. Jesus told the disciples very clearly. I did not come to bring peace but a sword. Fathers and sons, mothers and daughters, you will be well hated. That's sobering, is it not? And it's not something, is it fair to say, that is taught in the church a lot today? So why is this? Why are you going to be hated? I think that we have a little bit of insight by looking at a story from way back in the beginning. So keep your place in John. Please for a moment turn with me. Back to Genesis 4. And it's a story that most of you are familiar with. It is the story of Cain and Abel. You will understand. Why the world hates you. Because it hated Jesus first. When you read something like this. And you see how this plays out. It's Genesis 4. It says now Adam, Eve, Eve. New Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering. And look at the article there. We usually don't focus on articles when we're teaching, but Cain brought an offering. Of the fruit of the ground of the Lord to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock of their fat. Do you see the difference in the articles there? Cain brought an offering, Abel brought the offering from the firstborn of the flock of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. Cain was angry because he brought an offering to God when his brother Abel brought the offering. Why was he angry? Well, God didn't respect his offering. God didn't accept his offering, and I would ask you today as you come into the church, do you bring, in and I'm not talking money. This is not about money. This is heart this is a heart issue. Did you come here ready to worship today? Did you come here ready to sing to God today? Or did you just come to church today? Do you know that there's the difference right there? There's the difference in the heart. I just came to church today. No, I came to worship God. I came to praise God. I came to celebrate God today. See, Abel brought the first best of his offering. Cain brought an offering. And Cain was upset. Why? Because Abel blew the curve. You understand what I mean by that? He blew the curve. He blew the curve. He made his brother look bad by what he did. All right. How many of you ever went to school and you had that test and and you know you know what? You know, I think everybody's going to bomb this test, so the teacher is going to give us a curve on the test so that everybody will be safe because everybody's going to do miserably. Then you have one person that comes along and they get a ninety on it. Oh, I don't. know. I just thought he. Yeah. Hmm. How do you feel about that person? Are you happy with that person? No, you're not happy with that person. That person blew the curve. That person, by doing the right thing, they studied, they understood it, they made you look bad. All right? Christians, you should be the curve blowers in society. In the workplace, when somebody looks at you, they should say, I want a hundred of them. I want 100 of them. Even if the other employees sometimes take a look and they say, hey, you know what, you you need to chill out. You need to kind of tone it down. You need to relax because you're making us all look bad. That should be you. That should be you. Why? Because whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, you're doing it as unto the Lord, and the world is going to look by, and the person that's always on their cigarette breaks is going to be saying, oh, man, I'm going to be lucky if I have a job tomorrow if he keeps up like this. You're going to be hated. Because if you do everything as unto the Lord, people are going to look and you're going to be the ones that are raising the bar. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. And the thing is this, is that he's honest with us. He says if the world hates you, but he might as well just say when the world hates you, right? When the world hates you, because the world is going to hate you. The world is going to hate you. That's not a message that you come into church wanting to hear, right? But listen to what he says after that. Go back to John 18. John 15, I'm so sorry. He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. And understand this, okay? What he's saying to you is is that, listen, you will be well loved, for greater love hath no man than this. You will be well hated. But he's also saying, and understand this, this is the third point, you are in good company. If the world hates you, it hated me first. It hated me first, so you're in good company. And what we call it is an argument from the greater to the lesser. Hey, if the boss has to go to orientation, so you have to go to orientation also. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser. Jesus says, listen, I came, I did the right thing, I shine the light in this world, I shine my light into this world, and they hated me for it. Do you think that everything is going to be sunshine, lollipops, unicorns, and rainbows for you? No. No, that's not what the teaching is. It's an argument that Jesus says, listen, I came into this world, so you're in good company if you choose to align yourself with me. Why? Because they did the same thing to the prophets. Leave this passage. Go back to Matthew, just a few pages back to Matthew 5. And listen to what Jesus says. Verse 11, blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Stop right there. So, so they persecuted the prophets. So, in other words, you're in the company when they hate you, you're in the company of the prophets. You're in my company when they hate you because you're trying to do the right thing because you're trying to shine the light in this world. Because what happened was somebody was living in a dark place, and you went in there with your little Christian flashlight, and you said, wake up. Wake up. You're doing some things. They're going to hurt you. You need Jesus. And they looked at you. How many of you ever tried to wake up a teenager? Right? You try to, yeah. (laughs) You've tried to wake up a teenager, and when you try to wake up the teenager, you first, you try it gently. You open up the door. It's time for school. It's time for school, right? Right? Okay, and they don't respond. You're out there five minutes, you're getting everything ready, and now um, they don't respond, and so you go back into the room, and now you put the light on. Okay, you really need to wake up because you need to go to school, and now the light's on, and what are they doing? Are they saying, oh, the light, I love it? No, what they're doing is they're taking the covers, they're pulling them over their heads, right? And now what happens is this, is that if you get really temperamental, like like I, I picture myself as doing. I do not have a teenager yet, but that day is coming. I picture myself as the father that would take a flashlight under their covers and go, rise and shine. Rise and shine. Why? Because you're shining a light into their dark world. They want to stay in the darkness. Folks, this is the church. You're in good company. Take I mean, t- Take a look at the Gospels. Was Jesus not facing persecution and conflict and adversity everywhere he went. He faced adversity from his family, he faced adversity from his disciples, he faced adversity from the crowd, he faced adversity from the religious leaders of the day. Wasn't there adversity at every turn in the gospels? And so you're in good company. You're not alone. But the way that we deal with it, well, we have to take a look and we have to say, "Well, Jesus, what did you do?" Because sometimes in this life what you'll do is you'll align yourself with politics or a party or a cause and because of your alignment okay you'll wear this shirt and you'll say or you'll put this sign in the front of your yard and you'll say listen i'm willing to align myself with that i want to make sure they know that i'm in this company well the very first thing for the christian the very first company they should know that you're keeping is the company of jesus christ yes they should know that your very first allegiance and that your true alignment is with the lord jesus christ They should understand that if they understand anything. It's not important to me that they say that he was a Calvary Chapel pastor at the end of my life standing over my Catholic, or that I worked for hospice or that I did this or did that. Here's what I hope they say. I hope they say he he knew Jesus loved him and he loved Jesus and he loved others. That's the company I want to keep. This is the company that I want to keep. You see, you're in good company because if you're getting persecuted now, then you're in the company of people that are going to love you, support you, encourage you, build you up. And if you're not being persecuted right now, listen, church, if you're not being persecuted right now, if you're not being hated somewhere right now, then I have to ask you if you're really walking with them. Are you really walking with them? We don't get a pass. We don't get exemption. If anything, we get inclusion because we say, listen, I belong to Jesus Christ. I am his, and he is mine. I love reading about King David. I really do. I love reading about King David because David surrounded himself with mighty men, right? David had some mighty men that he was surrounded by. What I love in this church is a smaller church, but I am surrounded by mighty men. I'm surrounded by warriors, people that I know love Jesus, Imperfect people, but people that I know are looking to make sure that his word gets out there and they're looking to pray for other people and they're looking to touch the community. They're mighty men and mighty women that make this body up. We're in good company if we're being persecuted, but we're being persecuted together. We'll align ourselves with... Different ball teams, Mets, Yankees, Red Sox, (laughs) Giants. We'll align ourselves with different teams. We'll align ourselves with professional athletes. If you're going to align yourself with anybody, if you're in anybody, you want to be in the company of Jesus. That's what we want to define us. So, you are well-loved, first point. You will be well-hated, second point. You're in good company, third point. But you know what to do, that's the fourth point. You know what to do. As Jesus is talking to them, he tells them, verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted you, they will persecute you Um if if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now they have seen and also hated both me and my father but this happened that the word might be fulfilled which is written in their law they hated me without cause but when the helper comes whom i shall send to you the spirit of truth who proceeds from me and the father will testify of me stop right there you know what to do here's how you know what to do you have his holy spirit in you that's the living god present in you all right Jesus promised that we would have the Holy Spirit to remind us of his teachings. So here's what Jesus does. He makes sure that we have clear marching orders. You have clear marching orders, churches, to how to respond to the hate. Because haven't you looked at some of the things that are going on? Haven't you looked at Charlottesville? Haven't you looked at the political climate? Haven't you looked at every ugly thing out there and you said, you know what, I want to respond like this, but Jesus, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to respond? How did you show me to respond? See, your marching orders are clear, church, because we have one. That gives us clear instruction. I'm not going to ask you to turn there, but I want to read one more part of that Matthew 5 passage a little bit later. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbors and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Let me say that again in case anyone didn't hear it. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For He makes His sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, listen, what reward do you have? If you love those who love you, big deal. What reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so. Therefore, you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And some of you look at that and you say, forget that. I'm not Jesus. I have bitterness. I have hatred because of the hatred. So where does the hatred stop? If you have bitterness and hatred because of the things that are going on out there, where does it stop? The buck stops here because it stopped with your leader, your Jesus, who told you to go love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Pray for them. Love on them. Are you doing that? He tells us what to do, but He's not one of these leaders that says, hey, Do as I say, not as I do. Have you had leaders in your life like that? Have you had people in your life that would come to you and they'd say, Well, I think that you should do this, but on on their end, they're doing that. And it totally contradicts their message. That's not Jesus. Jesus says, Listen, I'm going to give you clear instruction. I'm going to tell you what to do in the turmoil. But I'm also going to show you how to do it. He says, I'm going to show you how to do it. Don't believe me? Just go right over here. Go right over to the cross. I'm going to show you how to do it. I'm going to give you an explicit example of how to do it. He tells us what to do he sets the example of what we're supposed to do but not only that he gives you the power of the holy spirit because so often you're going to be faced with situations in your life with people that are hard to love and you're going to say i can't do that he's going to say i know that's why i've given you my holy spirit if you get out of the way and you submit to me then watch me flow through you. Watch me show myself in you so that the world takes a look at you and they say, well, how how could Tom, how could Bill, how could Matt, how could they possibly love this person? That's the Holy Spirit, man. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. And let's be honest, you really know what to do, right? How many of you have seen posts on Facebook and you're like, I've got to respond to this? I've got to respond to this. This is ignorant. This is ugly. And I've got to say something here. I've got to let my my viewpoint be known. If somebody doesn't stand up, you know what? Pick and choose your battles carefully. Learn from the greatest example that we have, the example of Jesus Christ. When we respond emotionally, when we respond by experience, here's what the world is creating and cultivating today, because we're not following the example. We are creating a culture of keyboard warriors and armchair political quarterbacks. Shots fired. Keyboard warriors. Ha, watch me stand up for my country. Let me get on Facebook. Really? Really. That's what our culture is cultivating today. Go out there and love on someone. If you want to change things, let me ask you something. Have any of you really succeeded in changing anyone else's political or religious views via Facebook argument? Anybody ever, ever? No, it just doesn't work like that. How did Jesus change? He interacted with people. He didn't stay in one place. He didn't stay in the temple and say, listen, everybody come to me, and when you come. No, he went out into the world. He was touching people. He was teaching people. He was loving people. You have a great example. You know what to do. Last point, point. and this is the best. This is my favorite. Okay? So if we say, you have been well loved, you will be well hated, You're in good company. You know what to do. Last point is you know who wins. If you don't know who wins, here's what I want to... And I wouldn't encourage you to do this in any other book, but you can do that in this one. Go to the back of Revelation. Okay? Peek, and guess what? God wins. God wins. And God is love. And you belong to God. So if you're on God's team You are part of the winning team. We're supposed to conduct ourselves according to his word in obedience. Yes, you will be rejected because of it, but God wins. Love wins. That means you win, but understand what love wins. Understand what that doesn't mean, because every time there's some sort of a moral conflict in the world, well, and there's some sort of a vote by Congress, what they'll have is, well, love won today, because love is defined by tolerance by our society. Yes? Society has said, listen, here's how you define love. It's intolerance. But that's bunkus, bum diddilyunkus, and here's why. Love is not defined by tolerance, but love is tolerant. Love can be. Love should be tolerant, but love is not defined by tolerance. Let me give you an example. My son, when he was three, liked playing with electrical sockets. Tolerance says, let him do whatever he wants. It'll be fine. No, I'm dad. It's my house. You don't play with those electrical sockets. Why? I'm doing it to protect you. There are certain laws in my house that have been put here. There are certain guidelines that are there to protect him. So you cannot define love as tolerance because somewhere along the line there are things, agree with me or not, that are intolerable. Yes? There are things, there's rape, there's murder, there's child pornography, there's child molestation. There are things out there in this society that are not tolerable and so we have laws that are there to protect us in the same way who finally decides what's right and wrong it's God how do we conduct ourselves then what do we do how do we do this how do we navigate through this difficult territory we understand that there's a final authority he gets to decide what's right and what's wrong because he created the whole shooting match and he shows us how to do this by going to that cross by saying listen I love the sinner let's be perfectly clear but I cannot tolerate sin. And let's understand that too. But I died for your sin because I knew imperfect people were going to come into my church and so there's the grace of God. But don't take that grace as licentiousness and think you can do whatever you want and as long as I ask for forgiveness because then you don't understand the cross. Do you understand the difference? When we say love wins, the cross wins. And I just want, I'm not going to ask you to turn there for time's sake, but I want to read something to you that I think makes this so very clear. It's one instance at the end of the book of John. It's chapter 8. And it says here, verse 1, But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, now early in the morning, He came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear them. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let them throw the first stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last, and Jesus was left alone. When Jesus had raised Himself up and saw no one but the woman, He said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Do you see the balance Do you see a God that loves sinners there? I see that. I see a God that loves sinners. Do you see a God that doesn't tolerate sin there? Yes, you see that too. Go and sin no more. You're hurting yourself. I care about you. Stop doing that. He never justifies her sin. Do you understand that? And that's why he goes to the cross. He never justifies your sin, but he extends grace. He extends grace, but he says, go and sin no more. So we're wondering, how do we respond to a world of hatred? Keep reading the example of Jesus Christ. Keep looking at what he did, because again... The thing that we understand is that love wins. Love, love overcomes everything. It overcomes apathy and anger and anxiety. Love overcomes bullying and badness and bitterness. And it uh, overcomes chaos and confusion and craziness and defeat and discouragement and depression. And love overcomes evil and envy and everything that raises itself up against God. Love wins. So in the middle of the hatred, you go out there. You shine your lights, church. You shine your lights. Because he's the one that turns the morning into dance. His love turns the morning into dance because if there's misery at the night, I know that joy comes in the morning because I see that sunrise and I remember that the sun rose. And he did it on my behalf and he did it on your behalf because he loves us. Because he loves us. That's the reason that we can go out there and love. Because you've been well loved, you can go out there and love other people. You can know that you're going to be hated. You have your marching orders. You're in good company. There's some hatred in my life, Pastor, right now. There are some things that are happening in my life, and I, I'm having a hard time. I'm, I'm bitter. I'm angry. I want to make sure people understand how bitter and angry and that I am because of the things that are happening. And you say love like Jesus. Why? Because love wins, and he is our hope. How many of you saw the eclipse? If you went outside and you saw what you saw, was that a body that is much smaller seemed to cover up the sun. The moon, for a moment, when you went outside, it seemed to be at an angle where it covered up something that was much bigger. And when this happened, what you had was darkness. And that describes what happens in our own lives. There are things that happen that seem to eclipse our God and take our focus off of God. But the confidence that we have is that that sun was going to emerge on the other side of that. When that eclipse was over, we knew that we knew that we knew that the sun was coming right back out. And the same for us, church. You have been well-loved, so even if you're going through a season of struggle right now, you know that the sun will come out tomorrow. There was a comic out many many years ago little orphan annie any of you guys ever hear about it all right little orphan annie little redheaded orphan girl and she was abandoned in the, in the orphanage and um what was the name of the lady that ran the orphanage anybody miss hannigan thank you very much i knew i could count on you all right <laughs> miss hannigan all right and the people that ran the orphanage they were evil but annie woke up every day with hope singing what The sun will come out tomorrow. Okay, we're not going to sing. We're not going to break out in a song. But understand, she had a hope that I wonder if your hope in Jesus is the same. Do you have that same hope? And you say, you know what? Despite the hatred, despite the ugliness, despite the bitterness, I'm going to rise above it by the power of the sun so that the world can take a look right now and see what they really need to see. And that's Jesus. That is Jesus. All that said, Remember, folks, you are well-loved. You will be hated. You're in good company. You know what to do, and you know who wins. Now, that said, if you've forgotten or if you're struggling with this, and I'm going to ask Tony to come up right now, And um, one of the things that God gave us so that we could remember who He is, how He loves us, and that the victory has been won is this thing called the Lord's Supper. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, what you have... Our cups, they're filled with juice, and they represent the blood of Jesus Christ. And you have these wafers, and these wafers, they represent the body that was broken for you. A perfect sacrifice that was made on your behalf. And here's what happens when we partake. When we partake, the Holy Spirit is here in a very real, very powerful way, helping us to remember what Jesus did, helping us to remember how well we've been loved. Because somebody in here may have forgotten that. How well you've been loved. That God cares about you enough to have made a sacrifice like this because the Bible says no greater love hath a man than this. That's what we study today, right? Than to lay down his life for his friends. And that's what this table reminds us of. So who is this table for? This table is for those that have confessed with their mouth that Jesus Christ is the Lord and they know that God the Father raised him from the dead. We never want anyone to miss this table, but that's who it's for. If you haven't done that, then this table's not for you. But it's God's desire that none should perish, so it's his desire that everybody here partake. So what do I do, pastor? Should I go up? Should I not go up? Well, We'll give you the opportunity right now that if you have never confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, what I would like to do we're going to do this a little differently today. I would like to ask everyone to bow your head and close your eyes. And if there's uncertainty, and you say, "You walked into this place and you say, "You know what? I don't know if I'm going to heaven," then today you can make that right by simply saying, "God, I'm a sinner. I understand that Jesus Christ died on that cross for my sins." And I don't want to go one more day trying to write my own story, trying to do things my own way. I want to give my life to him. So if there's even one person in here today that needs to make that decision so that you can join us at this table and never be left out of this meal again, then I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, and I want you to repeat after me. Dear Father, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. Be the Lord of my life. Forgive my sins, past, present, future. Come into my heart, Lord. Dwell with me forever. In Jesus' name.